Hi, and welcome to the Unveiled Podcast, where we discuss all things related to womanhood to help us think Christianly in every area of life. Susie and I both have a passion for biblical womanhood and femininity, and we enjoy talking about issues that women are dealing with. Susie is a biblical counselor. She loves theology and ministry to women, and I'm an educator and worship leader at the church that we both serve at. This is part three of our Imago Day series, and today we're going to focus in on social media and what it means to be authentic. So Susie, our first question today is, what does it mean to be human? Great question, Sandy, but I'm just going to pause here for a moment because I actually want to give a shout out to Mm. yourself and uh, some others on our worship team. I am super excited by the time this podcast comes out, we will also have released our first album for Pursuit of Glory Worship. And I'm not a musician at all. I'm not a worship leader. I, I love to worship, but that is not my gift. But Sandy, you have been a huge part of this. You have a couple of leads with the music that will be going out. So just wanted to honor you and thank you for all your work with that and uh, the rest of the people who have been involved in that as well. Amazing worship, my favorite worship right now. And not just because it's people like yourself and some of my kids that have been involved in it. It really is amazing worship music that really brings you to the throne room, right? And so I just want to congratulate you and thank you and encourage our listeners to make sure that on December 1st, when Pursuit of Glory releases their first album, make sure you check it out on mm. one of your favorite platforms yeah. where you listen to music, right? So it's, exciting. Yeah, very yeah. exciting. So well, thanks, thank Susie. you, Sandy. Oh, thank you. Uh, so yes, and what does it mean to be human? Well, to be human is to be created in the image and likeness of God. And that's powerful and profound. And If we've grown up in the church, sometimes maybe we can slip by that very easily and quickly because we've heard it so many times. But to be created in the image and likeness of God makes us unique from all other creation. All of creation is a display of who God is, but we as humans are created to bear his image. To be human is to be relational, to have reason, to be able to love, to have have guilt and to have compassion, to be faithful and to be committed. We... Uh, are able to love because he first loved us. And another unique thing is we have eternity set in our hearts. We know that there is something more than us. There's something bigger than us, and there is something beyond this life. And all those things is just a little glimpse of what it means to be human, to be created in the image and likeness of God. Certainly, I couldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to explain it fully and completely. And we have to go to God and His Word to have a, a greater understanding. And I think we can, the more we know Him, the more we will understand ourselves and what humanity is all about. It's a lifelong pursuit of trying to to know more and understand more. It's a uh, continual unveiling, I believe. Um, but as we go to the Lord and go to his word, we will have a greater sense of what it really means to be human. And so let's continue to understand that. But understanding the foundation that we are created in the image and likeness of God, like there is something meaningful and powerful and purposeful about that. And so... To be able to understand our worth and purpose, we must know the one who created us. And we we can understand that true relationships are created through uh, the faith that we have in God. 
we understand relationships and the dynamics of how to live those out within the context of family and in true friendship. And we, the more we understand our relationship with God and others, the more we will be able to really understand and value our humanity as well. Andy Steiger, who wrote the book called Reclaimed, and the subtitle, which I love, says how Jesus restores our humanity in a dehumanized world. He's got an amazing quote, and he says, The message of the Bible from the beginning to the end is that God created humanity for the purpose of relationship. And so we know that we are created to love God and we are created to love others. This is the essence of our humanity. I love that you bring it back to God's creation, right? And in God's perfect design back in the garden before sin even entered the world, we didn't have social media. And of course, there are good things that have come from the advancement of technology. You know, we're able to be more connected with people that we're not physically close to. And this is a, a more recent advancement. But how would, how would you say that social media has impacted humanity? Yeah, well, I'm going to go back to the book that I just uh, described, Reclaimed, by Andy Steiger. And he has uh, a great quote in there. And he describes it this way. He says, social media has become a war-torn wasteland of digital genocide. The digital era presents a unique challenge because never has it been so easy to delete another's humanity. From the comfort, convenience, and privacy of your own home, the unbridled tongue is free to type and unleash its full poison on whomever you choose without ever looking them in the face that's key I think like we don't even have to look them in the face it changes when we look someone in the face right absolutely we we remember their humanity Mm -hmm. and then he continues to say consider how easy it is to type the unfiltered thoughts of your heart into 140 characters and press send you don't need to see or hear the human being on the other end you don't need to face the fallout of the bombs you drop so powerful and how how sad and it definitely makes you second guess and think how many times have I done that unintentionally Mm. or maybe not even being aware of what I've done and it's not necessarily just through social media but it can be through a quick text right instead of taking time to treat the other person as a human you just quickly bluntly say what needs to be said Mm -hmm. and then you move on and probably leaving that other person feeling a little bit confused and feeling a little bit uncertain and feeling like do we have a relationship here or what just happened Mm -hmm. and I know I've certainly been the recipient of that and most of the time people are well-meaning and they haven't intended for it to come across that way but technology really is a tool to pass on information. But if we forget that and we begin to think that this is our way of relating to people, we will feel very dehumanized and we Mm -hmm. will treat people in a very dehumanized manner. I wanted to read a little story that I also found in that book, Reclaimed. And I think you'll find it interesting. Uh, And I, I hope it makes sense because I'm just pulling out this story in the middle of a book. But he's quotes um he starts by saying a quote he says the korean people have lost their ngami steve explained that this korean word translates literally no human or literally trains let me start again literally to human flavor what does that mean okay we're gonna have to cut this part out i'm having a hard time here (laughs) okay let's start again 
The Korean people have lost their ngami. Steve explained that this Korean word translates literally to human flavor. What does he mean that Koreans have lost their human flavor, I asked. Does he mean humanity? It's more than that, Steve said. The word ngami has to do with certain positive qualities that make us more than animals, such as compassion, neighborly love, and selflessness. Our driver further clarified saying, we have been taught to see each other only as competition. The truth of this cultural shift has been conformed to us earlier in this week when we had lunch with some Korean young adults. They had shared that given the unemployment levels, competition for jobs had become even more intense, so much so that many were giving up on a career and either settling for a paycheck at some meaningless job or embracing unemployment. If you were employed, the demands of work were all-consuming. In Korea, people no longer have the time, money, and desire for things like dating, marriage, and kids. Mm -hmm. Given these factors, this young adult demographic has been labeled as the generation that has given up on the big five. Having a career, dating, getting married, even owning a home and having kids. When I was growing up in Portland, Oregon, we called that the American dream. It's a dream that many around the world are giving up on. And a little bit later, uh, on the next page, he continues by saying, so what did my cab driver mean when he talked about human flavor? He meant that things that make life worth living, the things that give us pleasure, meaning, and satisfaction, what are those things? What leads to human, human flourishing? The South Koreans I talked with effortlessly rattled off a bunch of things that people saw as giving life flavor, dating, marriage, having kids, and they all spoke candidly about these things that had lost their appeal and thus they were rejecting them. Yet what I found interesting is that, is that none of these people really dove into why they were giving up on these things and what they were choosing to replace them with. After all, it's easy to misunderstand all this talk about marriage and babies and forget that these are only symptoms of a bigger issue. People all over the world aren't just giving up dreams of white picket fences. They're giving up on relationship in general. Why? They're giving up on relationships in general because they have given up on one relationship in particular, a relationship with God. Mm. And so I just thought this was so powerful that we we need to remember that we don't want to lose our human flavor mm-hmm. the things that give us significance the things that give us meaning in life we don't want to settle for less than that and it all starts by having a relationship with god understanding who he, he is and how much he loves us and how he relates to us as soon as we take our eyes off god we are are prone to be able to lose our own humanity or our human flavor, the things that give us significance. And one of the things that uh, I've seen happen, and I was actually just talking to a young man recently, and he was talking about how men in particular are drawn to video games because it feeds self-entertainment. They don't have to go anywhere else. They can just go to their own homes, in their own rooms, by themselves, and entertain themselves Mm -hmm. entertainment wasn't meant to be solo it's it's easy and even the 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 drive to for men to be fighters and Mm -hmm. protectors and adventure 
adventure, yeah. right? All of that is is satisfied in these video games. And it reminded me of Genesis three seventeen to 19 that talks about, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat the bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And this is the curse that God gave manhood after Adam sinned and was passive and didn't protect his wife and didn't guard her and tell her to not eat of the fruit. He was passive. It was the first passive man. And we continue to see passive men and yet they've been designed for more and that's why they often run to isolation into video games and self-entertainment because they still get the same feel that they would if they were actually protecting and providing for a wife and children and working hard and yet they've taken the easy way out right and that's what video games can do and so once again it's not necessarily the video game that's the sin it's what it feeds inside mm-hmm. of us that self selfishness it replaces mm-hmm. and it's just it feeds our own sinfulness we're already sinful and that's just an opportunity to express that so when i was talking to this young man i was thinking about okay so how are women impacted and i think women are largely impacted by social media influencers this young man i was talking to said guys don't really think oh i'm going to be jealous of another you know when i see beautiful families posted and it seems like they've got a beautiful family life it doesn't create jealousy in me jealousy in me and yet i would say it does for women it makes them feel jealous or insecure or less than whatever it might be because i think it's because women are are drawn towards beauty and perfection right and social media influencers they give you the illusion of beauty and perfection but we can only find that in Christ and so we need to remember that um, social media is is not giving a full account and where the influencers seem to have it all together we we need to remember that there is only one way that we can be perfected and it's through the righteousness of Christ and putting our faith in him he had to go to the cross for Mm. us so that we could be made perfect and complete and we need to remember that I think I think it's super important and um, we also need to remember that uh, so men are drawn to video games because that gives them that sense of accomplishment and in as if they are fighting and protecting something women are drawn to social media because of the influence because they love beauty and uh, are striving for perfection and in satisfaction and affirmation And then we need to remember that in general, technology has replaced human relationships. We we no longer really need people to even do much of anything for us. Like whatever we want, we can have a quick word of encouragement as we scroll through our social media, or we can get a quick word of advice by going to social media, finding a good quote. And we don't even need people. In fact, we we can even go to the grocery store and we don't even need people to check us out at the grocery store. We can just scan our own food. We have become so isolated and we need to remember that we are created for relationships. 
Um, another quote I found was, it says, technology is seductive when it offers to meet our human vulnerabilities. And as it turns out, we are vulnerable indeed. We are lonely, but fearful of intimacy. And this is not just a problem that social media has created. It is actually just providing um, uh, uh, an avenue to be people who are afraid and fearful of intimacy. Uh, Proverbs 18.1, warning given many generations ago, right? Mm. It says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. And so we've had to fight the desire to isolate from the very beginning. And of course, now technology has just given us the opportunity to do that. And so when I think about how this has affected um, our culture and our society, and we have to be aware of this, I see that value, the value of marriage, which is the most intimate human relationship, it's gone by the wayside, right? You can just date here, there, everywhere, you know, as soon as things get tough, you just break it off. You can go sleep with anybody that you want to have one night stands, have multiple sexual partners at one time. And the value of marriage has, has diminished and that affects all of culture and the stability of culture, the safety of culture. Families often no longer value children or marriages no longer value children, right? Be- because people are selfish and they just want to do their own thing and they want to build up their own careers and have freedom and flexibility to come home and once again, isolate themselves and not be responsible for anyone else. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to go on vacation whenever they want to. They don't want to have to spend money on children. Children are expensive after all. And the value of faith, people no longer faith because in the church, we are designed for community. Everything about the church is is community because we are the body of Christ and we need one another and we need to give one ourselves up for one another and serve one another and uh, practice the one another's on one another. Mm-hmm. So the church, we don't value the church because we value isolation. And of course, we see that people no longer value work. We have been created to work. Work is redemptive and it, it's part of our contributing to society. And so we don't value that. And one of the other things I was going to mention, and I haven't totally figured this out, but I'm trying to process this, is just um, the amount of people that struggle with dating relationships. And it, uh, I, I do wonder how this is going to affect family and marriage in the future, because I see people still desire marriage. They desire to have a family, and yet so many people struggle with having chemistry and feeling that connection and I can't help but wonder that social media has greatly influenced this right we know that there's more we know there should be a chemistry that happens but there's there's this wall that social media and technology limits um there's only so much chemistry you can feel as you're communicating through text or email or even Zoom, right? Mm -hmm. There's only so much connection you can have. Mm -hmm. We're missing out on so much. And I think we actually need to rethink that so that we can actually teach people to continue having chemistry because chemistry is important Mm -hmm. between human beings. It it shows us that we are more than just robots and, and we're more than animals. Chemistry actually is, is part of humanity. And so we want to make sure that we don't forget how to build chemistry amongst our 
our relationships and particularly a relationship that could be a marriage relationship that's going to be your lifelong covenant. And I think all of these things are not so much a fault to technology, but they are a fault to the fact that we no longer value God. We no longer seek after our creator who who made us in his image and likeness and showed us how to have those beautiful relationships. And um, so we just need to make sure that we are, are people who continue to strive for relationships and don't replace fakeness and fake chemistry or fake um, intimacy with true intimacy. And it all starts by understanding who God is. Mm. And once again, even another issue that I was thinking about is how pornography has replaced marital sex. People can self-gratify themselves through watching pornography. They don't even need another human being. They still get the sense of um, intimacy, but it's a false intimacy and it actually leaves them feeling empty rather than satisfied. And when we participate in all these things, when men go to video games, when women go to social media influencers, when we allow technology to replace all of our human connectedness and we, we, va- we lack value for true human relationships, we become fake. Mm-hmm. And in our fakeness, we aren't just actually affecting ourselves. We do dehumanize others and it's because we've already dehumanized ourselves. Hmm. Yeah, it seems like <clears throat> all of these things that you mentioned are like an easy illusion of reality. But you're right, it is it's fake and it's a replacement of of the the community that God has created. And these sound devastating, Susie, when you say it like this. And impossible now that we're here as a society to reverse. So how how does all of this affect our ability to be authentic? Yeah, good question. And I think one of the things we need to be remember is that social media should not be our first form of authenticity. Sometimes we feel like, oh, because I've posted pictures and everybody has seen my vacation, they've seen how I spent the, the Christmas holidays with my family and the good time that we had together, that I've been real and authentic. No, that's just a very minimal, minimal part (laughs) of of who we are and Mm -hmm. what we've experienced. So please just remember, hey, I'm not going to tell you not to post anything on social media. There's, it's a great way to be able to share good memories. Uh, Of course, with everything happening in technology, I don't know where the danger will be. So let's be cautious and aware. And maybe we need to do a little more research, all of us, on what is happening with technology and how that will be used in future years. So let's be wise and discerning. Mm -hmm. And I certainly don't know all the ins and outs of that. But I would encourage our listeners to do more research. And I probably need to do a little more research Mm -hmm. too, right? So I know how to protect uh, myself and my family if, if necessary. But at minimal, let's remember that authenticity comes with real human connection, not just on social media. Let's not be satisfied with posting something on social media thinking we've been real and authentic. No, Mm. go and talk to someone and tell them about how you spent Christmas with your family or the vacation that you had or just the fun time that you had doing gardening, whatever it might be, right? Yep. Yep. Well, I know that we like to think that we're different as believers, that we have a better better handle on things. Um, But how have these influences affected the church? 
we have been affected by several false beliefs, one of them being my relationship is between me and God. Mm. I think this is absolutely a false belief because we are not just individuals. We are part of the body of Christ. And sadly, many people think that, no, it's just between me and God, and you don't have a right to speak into my life. How are we going to sharpen one another? How are we going to influence one another if we don't give each other permission to speak into each other's lives, right? And I know it's awkward. If somebody calls us out on something, it's awkward and maybe embarrassing and our natural tendency is to get defensive. But let's just take a pause and and actually remember if someone's calling something out on me, that's actually a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. That's how I'm going to become more holy. And I was thinking how God's love is a purifying love. Because he calls us to the same standards of holiness as as he is. He says, be holy for I am holy. And that's an extreme standard. And he, he does that with perfect patience, mercy and grace and justice. And as we interact with other people, let our love also be a purifying love. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing if we can help our friends, our family be more pure? Second false belief is I am my own authority. And it's very similar to, you know, just thinking it's just between me and God. But I've seen a a disrespect for authority in general. Our culture does not respect authority. It does not respect authority in marriage or in parenting or at work. In fact, my brother was telling me recently how he's a manager of of a shop in in his um, place of work and... He will have people tell him, no, uh, you can't tell me to do that. I'm not going to do that. And they just say that right out. Meanwhile, he is the manager Mm -hmm. over them. Mm -hmm. But people do not have his respect for authority anymore. And that's a false belief. We are not our own authority. God has given different spheres of authority. Ultimately, God is our, our sovereign authority over everything. And then he's given us other authorities that we are to respect within certain bounds obviously if any of those authorities are telling us to sin we we obey god rather than humankind but we are people who are to live within the context of respecting authority and then the third false belief is i have to love myself before i can love others this also is false we cannot love ourselves without understanding the love of God. And First John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. If we know God's love and how he has loved us, we are able to love one another. So it doesn't start with us. And then the fourth false belief is privacy is a right. And yet I see God's word saying, Confess your sins to one another. And Proverbs, I already read this first. Proverbs 18 also says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks Mm. out against all sound judgment. And so there is actually danger in isolating ourselves or being too private. Certainly, we should be discerning. We don't have to tell everybody everything. But we should have people in our lives that we are able to be honest with. And they should be able to speak into our lives and know what's happening. And there's times when we have to confess our sins to one another. It's not always just between us and God. Privacy is not a right. We are desiring for community and therefore we need to do whatever it takes to live within community to break down those walls and live wisely with Mm -hmm. one another sharing with one another encouraging one another building each other up confessing to one another forgiving one another 
that's all part of living in community and as the body of Christ to represent him and to glorify his name. And so privacy is not a right, but certainly we should be discerning as well. Mm -hmm. So those are just four false beliefs that I I thought of. Certainly, I'm sure there's many more, but I'll just touch on those for now. That's good. And I like that, that piece about accountability. So important. I know in my own life, um, I'm, I've been thankful for accountability when I've wanted to withdraw or, you know, take a step back of the people who've reached out and, and truly care and love. So Susie, what do you see happening in our current culture that is evidence of our dehumanization? Right. And so I was thinking about this. I am not anti-government. Certainly, I believe government is part of the structure that God has put in place to protect our country and to provide for our country. And we we should not be anti-government, but we should be discerning. So once again, government has a sphere of authority over our lives. It doesn't have ultimate authority like God does. And I think our government has seen that there is a problem, that there is a problem with poverty. There's a problem with the hatred and there's a, a problem that um, in, in our um, climate, there's a lot of problems that we have created because of sin and our government has tried to take action. And yet I see a lot of danger in what our government is now trying to do. They are trying to create a utopian society. All of this without faith in God. And in fact, it is as if they are trying to declare sovereignty over every area of our life. They have rejected God and tried to take the place of God. And we know that they can come up with all sorts of rules that sound good, but without God, people are dehumanized. And I'm very concerned about what's happening. The 2030 agenda is something that you can look up. This is not a conspiracy theory. It's in our government pages and documents. So you can certainly look this up. But all of these goals that they have sound good, but they are godless. And in order for them to actually accomplish these goals, they will have to become totalitarian and control areas of our lives that are actually not in their sphere of authority. So if you look at their goals, and you can get this directly from their website, it says to end poverty in all its forms everywhere, to end hunger, achieve food security, and improved nutrition, and promote sustainable agriculture. Goal number three, ensure healthy lives and promote well-being for all ages. Goal number four, ensure inclusive and equitable quality education and promote lifelong learning opportunities for all. Goal five, achieve gender equality and empower all women's rights or all women and girls. Goal number six, ensure availability and sustainable management of water and sanitation for all. Ensure access to affordable, reliable, sustainable, and modern energy for all. Goal number eight, promote sustained, inclusive, and sustainable economic growth, full and productive employment, and decent work for all. Goal number nine, build a resilient infrastructure Promote inclusive and sustainable industrialization and foster innovation. Goal number 10, reduce inequality with 
in and among countries. Goal number 11, make cities and human settlements inclusive, safe, resilient, and sustainable. Goal number 12, ensure sustainable consumption and production patterns. Goal number three or 13, take urgent action to combat climate change and its impact. Goal number 14, conserve and sustainable use and sustainably use the oceans, seas, and marine resources for sustainable development. Goal number 15, protect, restore, and promote sustainable use of ter- tes- terrestrial ecosystems, sustainably managed forests, combat desertification, and halt and reverse land degradation and halt biodiversity loss. Goal number 16, promote peaceful and inclusive societies for sustainable development, providing access to justice for all and build effective, accountable, and inclusive institutions at all levels. And goal number 17, strengthen the means of implementation and revitalize the global partnership for sustainable development. Whew, I'm tired of just (laughs) saying the word sustainable. (laughs) And as much as a lot of this sounds good, Mm -hmm. they are not able to accomplish this without God. This is is a a utopian society, a a dream that they have of this perfect life where everything's going to be living in harmony, but they're not using God's laws to make this happen. This is not God's plan. This is... No, and and so I'm very concerned. They're going to dehumanize us and try to make everything equal on every level look the same to accomplish this, and it doesn't work. Because what happens when there's God's law that says if a person doesn't eat, he shouldn't, or if a person doesn't work, he Mm -hmm. shouldn't eat? No, everybody should have provision, all the same, right? And when... um, God says God has created male and female. This is trying to make everything mm-hmm. equal, right? Mm-hmm. Men and women are equal in their worth, but we have been given given different roles and our biology is different. So we live differently. And yet this is um, trying to make everything equal. So those are just a few things that we can touch on but we have to be aware of what the government is trying to do so let's respect and honor government as long as they live within the sphere of the authority that god has given them but we must be careful about this kind of an agenda that is a godless agenda and is trying to um create sovereignty over everything Mm -hmm. when that has only been given to our god yep overstep for sure Mm -hmm. well big tech has earned the name big tech we've become so reliant on our phones, on scrolling, and in some sense we're able to connect with people through social media or texting, but people are more and more distracted when they're having a physical conversation with someone, almost like itching to check their phone. And I know I can be guilty of this, especially if my kids are home alone. I'm, I'm checking my phone to see if they're trying to get a hold of me. My goodness, what did our parents do without cell phones? So can you give us some advice, Susie? Not rules or legalism, but some guidelines. How reliant is too reliant? How much scrolling is too much scrolling? And notice that I'm not asking how little is too little. Right. And I'll just be the first to admit there's times when I spend too much time scrolling. Because even though I speak a word against this, there is a part of me that just, it's it's mindless. And after a mm-hmm. busy day, sometimes 
I crave mindlessness and that's wrong. And so what I've uh, done, and I did this quite a while ago, was I have removed all notifications on my phone. If I want to check an email or check to see if I have a text message or a message on one of my other apps, I have to go into that app to check that message. It doesn't beep. It doesn't, you know, um, make a uh, vibration. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have to go in and, and check that. The last one I actually, my WhatsApp, I just uh, did that last week because it's not an app that I use very often. But I thought, you know what? No, I'm going to remove notifications from that one too. I only use it for my extended family and we don't get that many messages. But I decided to remove that as well just so I could streamline things. I do not get messages on my phone unless I go and look for them. And uh, something I've done more recently is to remove the Facebook and Instagram app from my phone. Originally, just so you know, what I did is I deleted it from my home screen, thinking that that was sufficient. But then I realized if I just scroll over to the side a little ways, it's not on my home screen, but it's still there. So I went in and actually deleted those apps just so that it's not as easy. It's not impossible. I can still easily access my Facebook and Instagram, but it's not as easy just to to go there Mm -hmm. and I think it's it's good to do that because certainly I don't know I still have a bit of a love-hate relationship with Facebook and Instagram I see benefits to it but I also see how much of a waste of time it can be and how exhausting it is Mm -hmm. on many levels because you're just so aware of the controversy that's going on in people's personal lives you see the the complacency in people's lives you you're just aware of too much and sometimes it's good things but uh, social media and technology has just opened the door for us to know everything about everybody and the reality is it's hard enough to keep up ministering to the needs of the people who are closest to you within the context of your small Mm, group and your family maybe neighbors let alone having every Christian post the things that they need prayer for and their family needs prayer for and somebody else that needs prayer for and part of me thinks this is great that we can you know share prayer requests that way but sometimes it can just be overwhelming being aware of all the needs in so many people's lives so I think we need to limit it it can be exhausting and of course I also recognize that when you remove something you have to add something so if you have been guilty of spending too much time scrolling on your phone what are you going to replace that time with right let's choose to replace it with something redemptive because if you don't replace it with something you're probably gonna something productive you're going to replace it with something uh you know, maybe equally as damaging. And so one of the things that I like to do is have a good book on hand. I like to read and I know that after a day of ministry and then I come home, make dinner, wash the dishes. I'm not necessarily up for another three hours of physical house cleaning, although my house could always use a little more tidying or a little more organization. Sometimes I'd just rather relax. And so I do like to have a good book on hand. So I really encourage you to find something else that you can do in place of that, right? Replace something good with anything negative that you're removing. And another thing that I think is is valuable to keep in mind is to keep phones away from private times. And that includes dinner and bedtime. Mm-hmm. And you asked, how reliant is too reliant? 
Well, if you can't have dinner without letting your phone wait, I think you're too reliant. If you think of checking your messages the moment you wake up, you're probably too reliant. When your phone distracts you from time in the word and prayer, you are probably too reliant. Well, maybe I should take out the word probably, right? You are too reliant. And if you want to help yourself with that, keep your phone in a different room while you're studying the word and praying. If you feel eye exhaustion, you are too reliant. If you are feeling jealous, insecure, and in competition with other people because of their posts, you are too reliant. So those are just a few things that you can keep in mind as you're trying to ask the question, how much is too much and how reliant am I? Am I over-reliant on my phone and do I need to make some adjustments? And if you need to, hey, the good news is his mercies are new every morning. Mm. You're, it's not set in stone just because you've fallen into a slump and you've been on your phone too much doesn't mean you can't change things. So I encourage you to take action today and, and do things differently. Replace your phone time with something better. I love that. I think I'm going to do that. I'm going to grab a book tonight and put it out and replace some of that scrolling time with reading. I love that. So Susie, if adults have such a difficult time putting down their phones for face-to-face conversation or, or a sermon or time with their family, how on earth do we expect our children to have the ability to control their scrolling screen time? What kind of plan should parents put in place for their kids? Should it be no social media until they're 18? Should they set up an account for them and have controls? What are your thoughts? Okay, good. Well, I definitely think that having a protection plan for your kids, something like Covenant Eyes, is very important so that anything that they do is um, accessible to you and you are aware of that. I think there's other family programs that you can access as well that maybe there's somebody else that's actually better at understanding all those technologies than I would be, but definitely have a protection plan on their phones if they have a phone. And then make sure that you have access to their phone at any time. You should know their password. And that doesn't mean that you should just be involved in every conversation they're part of. I think it's valuable to be able to give them some space. First of all, it's probably not fair to their friends if you're reading all of their messages. But at the same time, if you are concerned, then go check it out. Mm-hmm. And and then I'd say keep phones out of bedrooms, And no phones until they can pay for their own plan. That will help them to be responsible. And urge your kids to call their friends, not just rely on text, um, unless it's a quick message. But get them on the phone, talking to their friends and actually having a conversation. What I also did was I have a young adult discipleship group with women that we meet every other Sunday. So I thought I'd get their input because they're much more up on the latest trends And I asked them, if you had a younger person in your life, what would you want to tell them about social media? So these are just a few quick comments that they made. They said, be in the word and listen to those who speak truth. Don't believe everyone. So in other words, you also need to be reading the Bible. Don't just listen to everything that you hear or see on social media. I thought that was wise of them to to mention that. And I'm not sure if this is going to come Oh, no, this is going to come up on another point. So point number two, be aware of comparing yourself. Number three, social media is draining. So we've already talked about some of those things, but they affirmed that, which was nice Mm. to hear. And number four, reading uh, your Bible is more fulfilling than just seeing a story. I actually Mm. love that they 
put this out there because sometimes we can feel satisfied. Oh, I, I saw this verse that someone else posted it. You know, we don't know what the context of that scripture was or if it was actually accurate to God's word, but it sounded nice. And so I'm fulfilled in my uh, Bible time. That's all I need to do. But I loved how they actually mentioned that going to God's word, picking up your Bible, opening it up and studying it is much more fulfilling than just seeing a quick good quote. Yeah. Number five, what's behind the screen matters. So in other words, they recognize that there's a lot of fakeness going on, right? Like people can Mm. portray the happy, beautiful image of themselves, but there might be a lot more behind the screen. So just be aware of that. Number seven, uh, know that media can be a lie. Don't try to be someone that's just on the screen. Uh, so just know, be be real. Don't mm-hmm. just portray half of yourself. And number eight, important to spot the lie. So be aware of the fact that there are lies on social media. So when you see them, spot them, point them out and make a mental note. Or if you're with a friend, point it out to them, not to be overly judgmental or, or critical, but it's important to talk about the lies that we see. And I know some families actually practice this practice this during family movie time Mm -hmm. because it is an enjoyable recreational activity to watch a movie with your family but I don't think there's any movies probably not even most Christian movies where there isn't some sort of a falsehood in it and or maybe a complacency or something and if we see that as a family yeah there's times when we have to shut down the movie if it's it's yeah. really bad. Yeah. But sometimes it's valuable actually just to say, hey, did you spot that lie? And then discuss it as a family, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then number nine, ooh, TikTok. Uh-huh. Um, they would say TikTok feeds discontentment. So women are already guilty of easily feeling discontent and unsatisfied. So TikTok just totally feeds that. And they also said that TikTok exposes you to a whole lot of nudity. Oh, so huh. just be aware of that. I would not encourage TikTok. I would say that's one of the apps that you should probably just not have. Don't sign up. Uh, No, just don't even go there. Mm -hmm. Even one of my daughter's uh, co-workers, who's a 26-year-old man who is not a believer, he was complaining about how much nudity he's exposed to. He was not interested. He was tired of it. And so if a 26-year-old unbelieving man can say there's too much nudity, it's probably too much nudity. So just don't even go to TikTok. And number 12, uh, just be aware that I'm, I'm not exactly sure how this works, but there's some apps where you can't really stop people from adding you, which means that you might not be following them, but I think they can follow you. I'm not exactly how sure how that works, but just be aware of who can access your information, who can communicate with you. And certainly when there's vulnerable girls, somehow... Uh, predators they know how to find who the vulnerable women are and they can start messaging and sounding like they are family or that they know somebody that your dad knows or their friends or co-workers or whatever it might be and they lure your lure you in that way so especially if you have a girl that you find a daughter that you find is maybe (coughs) particularly vulnerable and I'm not saying this to blame any of the moms or to put them at fault or make them feel like they are guilty or there's something terribly wrong with them. But let's just recognize if there's not a father in the picture, 
our daughters are much more vulnerable if they don't mm-hmm. have a father who is protecting them and is in their um, in their midst, in their family, aware of what's going on. Your daughter is more vulnerable than other daughters. And that's not to make you feel less than, but to be aware that you want to be diligent in protecting her and teaching her what is appropriate, what is not appropriate when she's relating to people to make sure that she's not keeping secrets from you. That's a huge, huge red flag. And that means that you don't want to be overreactive because if you're overreactive, your daughter is not going to want to come to you to talk to you about what's going on or what she's seeing. Mm -hmm. Um, But you want to be aware, you want to be loving and gracious and, and, and kind and Uh, make sure that you are a person that she can talk to and and tell what's going on in her life, what her fears are, who her friends are, who she's communicating with. And as she does, then you know that you are also protecting her. Make sure that your kids are not messaging people that they do not actually know. Very, very important. So just a few tips to help us protect our children. And as we do that, I think it'll also sharpen our own minds and help us to realize, oh, if we're asking our kids to do this, maybe I Mm -hmm. need to make some changes in my own life as well. Do you have something encouraging or positive that we can take with us after this conversation about the negative impacts of social media? Yes, absolutely. But I'm going to keep it simple. Okay. First of all, give someone a hug today. There is power in physical touch. It's such a valuable thing. I just quickly Googled and it says, when you hug, touch, or sit close to someone you love, your body releases oxytocin, which scientists call the cuddle hormone. This hormone can help relax and lower anxiety, which in turn can effectively lower blood pressure. It boosts heart health. And so... Hmm. Don't just do that for yourself, but just recognize that when you hug another person, you're also doing that for them. Hmm. And that is, once again, reminding them they are human. They are more than just a robot. They are a human being that is worthy of your touch, of your hug, of your physical affection. Obviously in appropriate ways, but I don't think I need to say that. And then secondly, have a face-to-face conversation And sometimes you just need to make the effort to meet up with someone and go for a walk with them or go out for coffee with them, invite them into your home, but have a face-to-face conversation as much as possible with the people who are your friends and family. And then lastly, I just wanted to say, smile at people. Once again, if I Google, it says, studies have shown that smiling releases endorphins, other natural painkillers and serotonin. Together, these brain chemicals make us feel good from head to toe. Not only do they elevate your mood, but they also relax your body and reduce physical pain. Smiling is a natural drug. Hmm. And so once again, don't just do it for yourself, but do it for other people. And we all like to do that with babies, right? Like it's almost like contagious or a, a game that we play. When you see a little baby, you smile and you talk to them in a sweet voice. And when they smile back at you, it's just so sweet and so precious. And it's almost, you know, indescribable, the joy that it can bring to us. But I believe it's also benefiting the baby as well. Mm -hmm. So if we do that with babies, let's do that with other people too. Let's smile at people and make that a habit in our daily lives. Sweet. Like Buddy the Elf. I love love smiling. Smiling is my favorite. (laughs) I love it. So cute. (laughs) We appreciate you listening with us today. And we do hope that this has been thought provoking for you and 
for your own consumption and use of social media. If you've enjoyed our conversation today, please consider giving us a like or a share. Thank you, Susie, and please join us again as we seek to rebuild biblical womanhood from the foundation up.